Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, we're, we're ending up a long series over the summer uh, called Lifelines, and uh, you have selected passages of Scripture, whether chapters or verses, that in some way have connected you closer to God and given you comfort and strength. Interestingly enough, most of those passages that you've selected for the summer have been those that uh, are hopeful passages. They're passages that, that uh, encourage you. Um, and, and so we, we end with Isaiah 40. Uh, the chapter is full of all sorts of wonderful poetic images, and, and it's hard to know exactly what to talk about and what to leave out. Uh, but first of all, as you, you think of a prophet, Isaiah was a prophet, and uh, we call him a, one of the major prophets, not because he was so much more important, but because his book, the book of Isaiah, is a longer book. And uh, there are minor prophets, and they're not less important, they just have shorter books. So in the, in the book of Isaiah, we see God's prophet coming out to speak a message from God. Now, some people think of a prophet as someone who's able to see into the future and to know all these mysterious and strange things. But really, a, a, a prophet in the Bible was one who spoke God's message to people. So whatever God wanted him to say, whatever God saw, whatever God was thinking, he translated that, he, he gave that to the prophet to give. This prophet did not speak on his own or have any special powers other than what God had directed him to say. And so uh, generally, the message of the prophets was one that was pretty negative. Uh, God's people, uh, his chosen people, turned away from him time and time again. They worshipped uh, other gods and idols. They were selfish and greedy. The priests and the rulers wanted uh, things for themselves only. Uh, they turned from the path that God had for them to bless all the nations and just kind of did their own thing. And so the prophets called God's people back to him. Usually a message of judgment, usually a message of uh, you need to turn and come back. And so for the most part, po uh, prophets weren't very popular because of the message they spoke from God all the, a similar kind of theme. Such, such is the case with Isaiah. There are two themes in Isaiah, balancing judgment and hope. In the first 39 chapters, we get words of judgment that God brings to his people because of their behavior, because of the way they've turned from him. And starting in chapter 40, we have words of hope. Uh, it's not surprising that most of you didn't pick anything out from the first 39 chapters. Most of us want to hear those hopeful words. And I hope those words that Isaiah had for God's people who felt abandoned by him, who felt exiled, and who were in fact exiled from him because of their own behavior, I hope that those words give you promise. Isaiah 40 starts out with these words, comfort ye, comfort my people. Now, I, that was the King James. I learned it that way. Now, some of you who are younger, I didn't mean LeBron James. I meant King James the, never mind. If you don't know, you, you'll never get that. And it ends with, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not get weary. They shall walk and not faint. And between these two bookend, very famous verses are, is a, a treasure of information and comfort to God's people about the nature and the attributes of God. And so I'll take, I've divided into five sections, don't worry, it's not going to last forever, but five sections is just a verse out of each section that kind of illustrates an attribute of God that we can take comfort in this morning. The first attribute is God is eternal. A voice said, shout, I asked, what should I shout? 
Shout that people are like the grass. Their beauty fades as quickly as the flowers in a field. The grass withers and the flowers fade beneath the breath of the Lord. And so it is with people. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. God is eternal. Now, on first look at this particular verse, it isn't real encouraging. Well, you know, the flowers look pretty now, and then they're going to die. And the grass is green now, but when it comes winter, it'll be brown, and so on. Because that's the way life is here. There are cycles. There is growth, and, and then there is decay and death, and there's birth. And that's the way our world is. But then Isaiah reminds us there are some things that don't ever change. God's Word stands forever. You can count on it. You know, a lot of times uh, I, I use this, well, I just changed my mind. Haven't you ever said that? Well, I just changed my mind. You don't have to worry about God saying, oh, I just changed my mind. You can always count on what He says. His Word stands forever. You know, the world changes so fast. Uh, it's, dis it's disheartening sometimes to see how, and, and it's kind of uh, shakes us up sometimes to see what is going on so quickly in our world and you know the all the violence in our world and all the evil and all the things it just makes us worried about those kinds of you know tomorrow could be different we could wake up and the world would just be upside down uh, on a little lighter note i don't know if you've heard of the beloit college mindset list every year the beloit college uh, administrators put out this little list to the faculty to, to remind them about the new incoming freshmen because they're different than the faculty, just in case the faculty doesn't remember, you know, their life is different. And so here are just a couple of them that they put out for the class, the freshman class uh, of 2018. Whew, 2018. These college freshmen, uh, during their initial weeks of kindergarten, were upset by endlessly repeated images of planes blasting into the World Trade Center. They haven't known a time when the world was extremely volatile and unsafe. They don't remember walking through an airport without any security checks. Remember going to meet people at the gate? They don't remember that. When they see wire-rimmed glasses, they think Harry Potter, not John Lennon. Some of you are saying, John Lennon, is he that Russian guy? No, no. He's a musician. Never mind. Never mind. And my favorite, everybody has always loved Raymond. He still lives on in reruns. Things change. And when things change, it upsets us. You know, I don't really, inside, I don't think older. I don't think I'm getting older, but I know as I look in the mirror, I am. I don't really feel that much older until I sometimes get up in the morning and things hurt that didn't hurt the night before. But, I, you know, I feel pretty much on the inside like I've always felt. But that's not the case. Things change. I, I just have to tell you this. I was, went to Starbucks this week and got up to the counter, and this nice young lady, kind of a cute little lady, she's uh, smiling, talked to me. She, she said, do you have on cologne? And I said, well, as a matter of fact, I do, you know. And she says, you smell just like my dad. I was hoping for something better, but some wise person in the early service said at least she didn't say you smell like my grandpa. <laughs> you know, I am disturbed by all the change, but I can always count on God 
is unchanging. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You can hang on to that. Number two, God cares for his people. He takes care of his people like a shepherd. He gathers them like lambs in his arms and carries them close to him. He gently leads the mothers of the lambs. You know, King David said, the Lord is my shepherd. A shepherd was very well known in that culture. Shepherd took care of the sheep and went to every length possible to keep that flock safe. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And he told a parable about the good shepherd going after, do you remember, the lost sheep? He wasn't satisfied having 99. There was one missing, and he went after it, which tells us the nature of how much God cares for those of us in his world. He will go to any length to bring us back to even the death of his own son. He will go to any length. And so you can't look around this room or any room and say, God doesn't care about that person. I'm sure God, that person doesn't come to our church. Or what's that person doing here? God cares about all as a shepherd cares for the sheep. You cannot choose God's friends for him. He wants all to come to him. Number three, God cannot be completely understood. Who comprehends the mind of the Lord or gives him instruction as his counselor? From whom does he receive directions? Who teaches him the correct way to do things or imparts knowledge to him or instructs him in skillful design? You can't tell God what he knows because he knows it all. There's a problem in our, our more scientific world in, in the fact that we believe that if we have enough information, we can explain everything. You know, if I don't know it, I can just learn. I can Google it and I can find out. I trust Google about that far sometimes. You know, I can learn anything and everything if I just have enough information. This passage teaches us that there are some things that we cannot really know. There are things about God we cannot understand. Now, I understand that that is an unsatisfactory explanation for a person who's skeptical. Because, well, that's kind of cop and, it's a cop out, you know. The things of God are mysterious. But, they are. God's Word explains that there are things that we cannot know. Job had this problem, and what did God say to him towards the end of his book? He said, where were you when I made all this? Who are you to try to understand me? Habakkuk, the minor prophet, complained to God about the state of his country and how uh, an opposing force from another nation was going to sweep into his country. And he said, God, how could you do this to our country? And God replied to him this. He said, even if I told you what I was doing, you wouldn't understand. You wouldn't get it. There are some things that we cannot know, because who can understand the complete mind of God? If I could understand the complete mind of God, he's got to be pretty small, because I'm not that smart. And so I take comfort in the fact that there is a God that is a, has a side of mystery to him. That I, and that's where faith comes in. Number four, God rules everything. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. We believe that in the beginning, God created. As the creator, he wrote the instruction manual. 
He wrote the operator's guide to living. Now, I know some of you take the owner's manual and you just put it someplace out of the way because it's not to be bothered with. The only time you get it out is if you have an issue and then you have to go searching through it to try to find it. Now, some of you engineers, on the other hand, have your uh, highlighter and you mark everything so you read it all and then you try to work the machine. Most of us don't do that. We don't really take too much interest in the owner's manual until things get tough. But the point is we go to the owner's manual when we want to try to understand how the machine works. We are infinitely more important than a machine, infinitely more complex. And if you want to know how to live life, go to the instruction manual that the Creator wrote for us. You can always count on that instruction manual. You can, you can always understand. You know, uh, we make the good confession. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, my Savior. I left one out, my Lord and Savior, because... Lord means boss, employer, supervisor. If we are willing to let God be our supervisor, then our life will run according to His plan. Our Creator has the right to tell us how to live because He wrote the book. Number five, God gives us strength. But those who wait for the Lord's help will find renewed strength. They rise up as if they had eagle's wings. They run without growing weary. They walk without getting tired. Now, many, many times this trans translated those who wait upon the Lord. Now, the word wait sounds a little passive. And I know people who take this passage kind of to the extreme. Well, I'll just wait on God and until I figure out what he wants, I just wait and wait and wait. And they sort of live their life kind of floating in, in sort of lukewarm water because God doesn't seem to be doing anything for them. But the word wait here is more aptly translated trust or hope. And it takes a lot more energy to trust than it does just to wait. And so in times when we don't think things are going well, we have to work hard at having trust in God. It's not just waiting, it's also having faith and trust. So the bottom line of Isaiah 40, as it's written to these people who have uh, been separated from God in their homeland and also feel apart from Him, the bottom line of the prophet is God knows what He's doing so you can trust Him. Well, okay, that's the exposition. What about the application? Uh, how do we, as people who live in a world that is always changing, and sometimes we feel far from God, sometimes it seems like He's not around, how do we cope with every day? What do we do as people on this journey that we're taking? Um, Viktor Frankl was in the concentration camp in, in uh, World War II. Uh, he, he, I can't think uh, of a more difficult place in which to find yourself in the horrors of a concentration gap not knowing from one minute to the next whether you'll live or die people starving to death people being worked to death people freezing before your eyes uh, many people turning into just savages because they're trying to survive but in that concentration camp Frankel watched people and he made observations about how what do people do to survive in that kind of an environment? 
And there are three things that he said that I think apply to us, and I think they're scriptural even though uh, he, he didn't pull his uh, observations from God's Word. I think they really fit. The first thing he noticed is people who were surviving were people who got, had a reason to get up every morning, people who bettered themselves and helped those around them. Do you have a reason to get up, or are you just sort of like the, the uh, hamster on the wheel? When you get up, it's just another day. You hope to get through it. Are you a better person today than you were last Sunday? Have you made anybody better this week? Have you done anything to contribute? Is there a reason to get up? Is there a reason to go on? Those people who find that reason are people who can thrive even in the midst of uncertainty. The prophet Jeremiah talked to the exiles, just like uh, Isaiah was. And I think we, this was a lifeline, but let me read it. Build homes and plan to stay, plant gardens and eat the food they produce, marry and have children, then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply, do not dwindle away, and work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you in exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. Get on with life. Have a reason to live. You'll notice he was telling the exiles, don't wait for something better to come along. Make your community better. Make your family better. Make your homes better. Seek the prosperity of the community around you. Be a good citizen. All of those things are God's plan for you as you're planted here in the midst of a difficult situation. I like what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians. Make it your goal to live a quiet life Minding your own business and working with your hands, just as we instructed you before. Then people who are not believers will respect the way you live, and you will not need to depend on others. I think sometimes some of us think that we must be a Bible hero in order to count. That if we don't part the sea or heal somebody or do something really huge, our life must not mean much before God. That's not right. Even a quiet life can be a life that has purpose and meaning. Maybe your only purpose is to be the best spouse, the best father, mother, friend, worker, because your influence, because you love Jesus and follow God, your influence will change other people and they'll have a ripple effect that you will never see the consequences. Maybe your little, tiny, quiet, seemingly insignificant life will make a huge difference. And so never discount the fact that you have a purpose when you get up tomorrow morning. Your purpose is to bless the world around you and bring honor to God. That can help you go on. And and there are countless stories. I know stories of those of you who are doing this right now. All sorts of really great things you're doing for people and no one ever knows what you do. But that's your purpose and, and God will know and God will be glorified by it. Number two, Choose your friends wisely. Frankel said, you know, that people that, that formed relationships, even there were kind of tenuous relationships in the prison camps, they were the ones who had somebody to lean on when things were tough. They told stories and they imagined what their life would be like when they got out and they um, talked about their friends and their family. It helped sustain them through the tough times. Now, a lot of times when I, I get the opportunity to speak to you, I bring this up, but I have to bring it up again. If you are a negative, complaining, whining person, it's probably because you hang around with negative, complaining, whining people because it rubs off. The 
the writer of Proverbs said, some friends may ruin you, which is true, but a real friend will be more loyal than a brother. If you are with the wrong people, you will soak up their characteristics. I know you've seen this before and heard this before, but think of the five people who are closest to you right now. You are becoming like them. You don't necessarily want to become like them. You know some people, you see them coming, you walk the other way, they suck the life out of you. If you've got five people like that in your life, no wonder you're unhappy. No wonder you're grumpy. Broken people break other people. Hurting people hurt other people. And if that's all you surround yourself with, you're going to be a mess. That's why we talked about life groups today. If, if you come here and hear a sermon, well, that's great, and sing a few songs. But if you don't have anybody who shares your values to live your life with, family and friends and other people in this church, the people who are closest to you determine who you are and how you're going to survive and cope with this life. And if you've got the wrong people you're hanging with, you're going down a wrong road. God's Word says, surround yourself with people who can build you up, not tear you down. Last one. Change your perspective on hard times. Everybody faces hard times. I know there are preachers who will say, you know, you must not be living right if you don't have a lot of money and all that kind of thing. And Job's friend said, you know, what did you do wrong? God must be turning his back on you because you, you had to do something wrong. And, and we learned that God said, no, that's not the case. And, and Jesus even said, you know, in this world you will have trouble, but I overcome. Life is hard. Everybody's got hard stuff. Everybody could have a violin this morning and get out and play a sad song. We all have sad stories. But in, if you can learn to, to face that with a different perspective, that's what Frankel learned in the prison camp. There were people who tried to reframe their experience in such a way that said, oh, not poor me, but how can I turn this into something positive? Or what does this circumstance make possible for me? What is God allowing that I would never have had without this circumstance? Now, I know some of you are saying, well, that is the hardest thing I've ever heard. It is hard. To a person who's lost their job, what am I going to do? I had one person say, I lost my job. I said, well, what about that? Said, well, I didn't like my job much anyway. Maybe I could find something I really want to do. Okay, that's reframing. I'm sick. Ah, you know. But I've heard people who say they were sick. I've come closer to my family and closer to God because now I know what's really important. Change, reframe your circumstances in light of God's bigger story. That's why Paul said, we have small troubles for a while, but they are helping us gain an eternal glory that is much greater than the troubles. There is a bigger picture that we live within, a bigger story that we live in, and that's God's story. He has the right to rule us. He has the right to write the instruction manual. So, the bottom line is God knows what he's doing. That's the message of Isaiah 40. But some of us continue to say, like the Israelites, God pays no attention to me. He doesn't care if we're treated unjustly. And I understand that because this answer isn't real satisfactory. It doesn't explain why God does what he does. It doesn't explain why there are suffering and, and evil in the world. But there is a choice that every one of us has to make. Uh, I, I saw a t-shirt two weeks ago in the store. It's the, of the you know, the, the art of Michelangelo's picture of the reaching down and the reaching up of God and man. 
and it said, in the beginning, man created God. My story, the story of God, is in the beginning, God created man. But that's the ultimate choice you have to make. When you, when you follow, even philosophically, you follow the trails back to the very beginning, you still have to make a leap of faith one way or the other. Did we make God for our own purposes, or did God make us for his purposes? I choose to stand with the people who believe that God made us for his purposes, to give us meaning in life and to bless and to help other people. That's what I choose to believe. But it's still a leap of faith both ways. I want to end with this story. Hal Finney, who was an early investor in this Bitcoin phenomena, died last week after a long struggle with ALS. After, this, is, this is incredible. After he was declared legally dead, he had arrangements made that his body was shipped to the Alcor Life Extension Foundation in Arizona. There he was cryogenically preserved. His preserved body is stored in an aluminum pod placed in a tank of liquid oxygen to keep it there until what the founder of Alcor says he will remain there until such time as we have technology to repair the problems he had with ALS and the aging process. And then we can bring him back happy and whole again. Hal himself said, I'm surprised I'm doing this because it's a long shot. But it turns out that in my situation, it helps me to have a reason to hope. And this is my only reason for hope. The fact that maybe someday I can be restored. His wife said, you know, Hal never says, I will come back. He only says, I hope to come back. She too is going to be preserved, by the way. Isaiah 40 gives us a different picture. One that sustained us with hope throughout the future. You know, God so loved us that he gave his son. And it says that we may have eternal life. All who believe may have eternal life. So I never have to say, I hope. I can always say, I know. I will. That is the hope that we have. That Isaiah 40 brings us. Philip Yancey says, the whole story of God can be summed up in this short sentence. God gets his family back. God gets his family back. That's us. That's you. But it's still your choice. You have to choose. God is creator. God is infinite. He's personal. He cares. He has the right to rule my life or God isn't and I can rule my life any way I want. But let me tell you, every time I do it this way, it never works out. But it's still a choice. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. How about you?